I'll play back the levels the way you set them. Say it on me. Hey, pussy, are you still there? Lee. I back. People are always saying about the talk, and I talk, and I talk, and I talk, but guess who can walk? I back it up. I back it up. That means it's time to roll, baby. You got nothing going on between your ears, buddy. Hey, John, do you think I'm just going to sit there and let you kill me, John? I mean, really. I think I could beat every girl in my division with one hand. That guy's such a dick. I mean, you show your true colors after a fight. That fucking guy comes up to me. You know who you are, huh? I don't have much left to say other than you have seen nothing yet. <laughs> Hope to God you come ready. Hi, Michael Morgan, coming live from Jamaica for this week's WOCast alongside me in the time zone that we both love. This is an incredible time zone. It's G. What's going on? What's going on, Mike? How is Jamaica? It is incredibly hype right now. Um, allegedly, I was at a barbecue yesterday enjoying the fruits and uh, juices and jerk this and barbecue that and mm. curry this so i'm feeling quite full right now because i've literally um if you look at my timeline if you are um listening to this and wanted to get a handle on the kind of cuisine that i'm kind of like uh taking in these days um my mum's cooking is incredible so um i'm feeling really really good really really full having food after food after food day after day after day but yes also, the heat helps and also the time zone, which corresponds obviously to UFC. And so instead of watching that up until 6.30 in the morning, I finished at around 11.45 last night, which is also good. Plus, I get to jump on any spaces that occur, like what you're running um, ad hoc, because I'm in the same time zone. I, you know what? I feel... I really do feel inclined that it's time. Maybe I had a change of scenery and maybe this time zone needs to be a permanent fixture in my life, but more on that later. Enough about me though. What's going on with you? Nothing much, man. I'm exhausted because I did like a prelim spaces and then like I stayed up late, you know, with the girl chat on Zoom and stuff. So basically it feels like I've been celebrating the return of the UFC, even though it was only like a two week break. But, you know, I'm acting like it's Fourth of July. The fights are back and I stayed up late. Now I'm hella tired. But I'm happy you called because we have so much to talk about with this card. Mike. UFC 264. The mm -hmm. only thing that we've got on the docket this week, I have to say, it's such an absolute pleasure. As I say, I've got to keep underlining this. Having watched the fight on my time zone, I'm going to call it my time zone from now on, because it's the only time zone that we should actually be watching fights on. It was amazing. UFC 264 was not without its controversies, not without its thrills, not without its spills and uh, breakages, but we're going to get to the breakages obviously when we get onto the main card, but in the time-honored fashion, in the time-usual fashion, we're going to pick uh, a few talking points from the prelims, maybe early prelims, because I know what you're like, G, you'll always watch the prelims. So I'm going to start off with you. What's the, what's the first um, prelim that you want to run with and talk about, and uh, if there is anything that floated your boat there? The early prelims were just I to me so believe it or not the prelim queen would like to skip a few of those and just jump right into the fight that I was so excited about from jump from a long time ago which is Ryan Hall versus Ilya to 
uh, to Puria. Mm. And the re- reason why I love this fight is because I'm a huge fan of Ilya. I found him on the prelims. And I think he's somebody that is going to contend for the belt in due time. He's just on the prelims right now. And he's also from Jordan, from that little clique that they got going on in the UFC. He mm. fights hella well, Mike. He's got really good hands, but he's a black belt in jujitsu. And he brings it all together very well in MMA. And he is now and continues to be undefeated. And the reason why I like this fight so much is because I am not a Ryan Hall fan. I am a fan of MMA, not somebody that is only good at one thing. And that is Ryan Hall, which is BJJ. And in the first round, Tapira was able to just, you know, weather the storm, which was these really strange looking kicks and Ryan just trying to flop on the floor looking for the Iminari roll or looking for a leg lock of some sort. And Ilya has a black belt in jujitsu, so he's not falling for the Iminari roll attempts. And on top of that, he's got decent hands. And he had the patience to wait to just clock this kid, take him down, and just ground and pound him in the first round. And I was thrilled. Thrilled. Mike, with all that being said, are you a Ryan Hall fan? Because I am not. Not actually. The, the, the sleepy Joe Biden look that he gives to the cameras, whether he is doing uh, UFC shoots or if he's at the Wayne's, I find that shtick a little bit tired. It doesn't really do anything for me. I'm not sure if that is his shtick, but I found that a little bit odd, a little bit jarring. So Ryan Hall isn't really my man. And you're right, the Iminari roles or whatever it was he was trying against Ilitapuria, who... You know, for the European uh, listeners amongst us, we'll know already of old, um, he is ex-Cage Warriors. Now, for me, the 11 or the 10 and 0 that he went in there with, I was a little bit surprised that he left with because Ryan Hall, as you know, um, you know, he does have some skills regardless of what, you know, is a little bit irksome and a little bit quirksome about him and the way that he behaves. But um, personally... I think Ryan Hall maybe needs to take a long, hard look at himself in terms of performance. And uh, I guess he will have learned uh, from last night's or uh, this past weekend's experience that um, maybe that approach ain't it. Yeah, I definitely agree with you. The approach ain't it. He's not a spring chicken. I do believe he's in his like mid to late 30s. And there's a huge discrepancy between his jujitsu and striking that doesn't sit well for me as he fights in the premiere mixed martial arts organization. I get that he's a phenom, but he cannot put it all together and and advance or do well in the UFC just by being a phenom. And I also don't want to take away from Ilya's performance. I thought his patience, the way that he was blocking those kicks. And I told MMA Twitter, I told people in the mentions, Mike, um, Ilya is not Darren Elkins. Just because Ryan Hall was able to kick the shit out of him in his last fight doesn't mean he could do that to a high-level striker like Ilya, and that's what we saw. But nonetheless, great fight, great performance by Ilya. I don't know what the UFC does with Ryan Hall next, but Mike, what was on your mind as far as prelims or any fight that jumped out to you? I want to go back the fight before, and this was Trevin Drowell's and Jessica's Duplessis. Again, for the keen-eyed or keen-eared listening, you'll know that Jessica's Duplessis is a, or was a KSW mainstay. So a lot of us Europeans were actually following his prowess from KSW to um, the UFC. Now, I'm not going to front. I was sat watching this with my brother and I'd not noticed this before, but um, Driscus Duplessis' stand-up in terms of style, in terms of look, in terms of finesse, looks horrible. I reckon the poison grace that you have with stand-up 
um, was definitely not on, on display there. I'm not sure if it's a karate background or Muay Thai background or even Taekwondo background, but his stand-up in terms of the way that it looked, it was ugly. But ugly wins fights because look what happened. I mean, that KO of Trevin Giles, I have to say, came out of nowhere. I did not expect it. And uh, from that ugly performance, it just shows that um, it's not just about finessing and it's just not about looking pristine. It's just not about a fashion show. It's about winning fights. Absolutely. And Mike, this is so funny. Being that we often discuss prelims and fighters folks aren't familiar with on this car, on um, fighters aren't familiar with, mm. me and you had a long discussion about um, Duplessis when he fought Marcus Perez because yeah. he's always looking like nervous, fidgety, high yeah. guard. His shoulders are over his ears. He looks tight. And in martial arts, we all know that like when you throw a combination, when you're in there, even though it's fighting and it's tense, you want to be loose. You want to be yeah. fluid. Yeah. He doesn't look like that. He looks no. like, what the fuck is going on? Where <laughs> am I? It looks like he's having an anxiety attack and all the stress yeah. is going to his shoulders. But mm. here's the thing about that. He gives that impression. And when he gets hit, it looks like he's falling apart. Like, oh, my God, you can tell he's been hit. But then, like, if you put his back against the cage, he finds an opening and he knocks his opponent out. And quite frankly, this is the second time he's done that. Yeah. where he's in a whirlwind of a fight. His back is against the cage. He did this to Marcus Perez, and then he did it to Trevin Giles. He finds some type of counter while his back is against the cage, and he puts power behind it and ends the fight. That yeah. is something to be discussed, regardless of how anxious and weird-looking he fights and nervous he fights, because he finds a way to win. And um, I'm so glad, Mike. I didn't hear his post-fight interview, but he wasn't talking crazy again about being the first African champ, was he? Nah, nah. Okay, um, good, good. He was more concerned that Joe Rogan and uh, Dana White know how to pronounce his name, which is a little bit orcs. That was ever so slightly jarring and uncomfortable to have that kind of like the main focus of, of your um, speech, rhetoric. right? But, right. but um, you know, people are going to pronounce his name and say his name and remember his name from here on in because just this duplessis looks like he is going to be a mainstay of uh, talking points uh, for fights to come. Oh, so yeah. Like He's a, go ahead. Go ahead. How about me? My, my next one? Let's see. Yeah. We have to talk about Nico Price versus Michelle Pierre. I mean, they threw the kitchen sink at each other. And mm. I'd like to also say that this deserved fight of the night. We'll, we'll get to it, you know, when we discuss what shouldn't, what shouldn't have gotten fight of the night. But this is one of those fights that should have got it. Yeah. I like to see the improvements of Michelle Pierre, even though he's still running out of gas. And what the improvements I mean is that he is conserving his gas tank a little bit better. There's less like stripper dancing. There's less flips. There's even though he still did them last night, mm. he seems to be trying to fight better and fight more like a mixed martial artist. But the gas tank is still an issue because he towards the end of the second round. And of course, the third round, Nico Price being the animal that he is, he turned it up and, and the momentum changed. But Michelle did enough. He he landed the harder shots. His in-and-out footwork was working, and the countering was beautiful. So, of course, he got the um, unanimous decision, but Nico gave it his all. What do you think of that fight, Mike? I loved it. I loved the fact that we got a glimpse of the old Michelle Pereira with the acrobatics and the, 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 yep. the theatrics. Like a glimpse. Yep. I, yeah, I was, I was pleased that it was a glimpse because it was clear to me in the latter part of the second round and indeed the third, he was gassed, man. His arms weren't where they should be. His body posture, confidence, and the way that he was moving was all out of whack, all out of sync. Uh, 
And um, you're right. I do feel that this should have got quite the night. I do believe it did get quite the night, if I'm not mistaken. Am I wrong? No, no, incorrect. Um, no. I believe Sean O'Malley and the newcomer got fight of the night. And so did I you say can't... Sean O'Malley and the punching bag? So I mis- mis- misheard what you said. <laughs> Sean O'Malley and, and the, the young man, the punching bag with the chin from hell. It's the pinata. Um, yeah, the pinata that went and burst. Mm. Uh, got fight of the night. And then I think Irene Aldana got like fight of the night, but maybe under the table, which was a bit controversial because she didn't miss, she didn't make weight, but we'll get to that. Mm-mm. But my, question, Mike, what do you think of Max Griffin who just beat Carlos Condit fighting Michelle Piera, both welterweights? I, I, I like the sound of that. I like the sound mm-hmm. of that. And uh, just to hijack your question, I'm glad you touched on Max Griffin who beat Carlos Condit. I know we typically have two talking points, but as this is a fireside chat, as it's the normal kind of like shooting the breeze type of uh, format that we've now become accustomed to, I just wanted to quickly um, put Carlos Condit and Max Griffin as an also ran in terms of talking points, because I don't know, tell me whether I need reining in here. Tell me whether I'm speaking out of turn, but mm-hmm. have we seen uh, the last of the, natural born killer in terms of approach, in terms of strategy, in terms of venom, because whilst he's coming off what, two wins in his last two fights, um, I think that the whole natural born killer shtick, the whole natural born killer approach um, is all about him being resilient and taking shots as opposed to giving them, if that makes sense. I saw that he was on the end of some serious damage and I commend him for how much that he was able to actually absorb, but I didn't really see him giving as much as he was taking. So this natural born killer um, kind of like adage, this nickname, I think it's now kind of like relevant to how much he's taking as opposed to what he's given. But temper my um, expectations and uh, do push down my um, my rhetoric if I'm speaking out of turn here. No, I don't think you're speaking out of turn at all. In fact, I think you should be naturally ready to retire, not the natural born <laughs> killer. Um, no, and I, and, and I say that as a fan of his, I love Carlos, but the problem mm-hmm. is, is that Carlos went on a very scary, what is it, a five-fight losing streak? Maybe even be more. Let me count them. He lost to Robbie Lawler, Damon Maya, Neil Magny, Alex Oliveira, and five fight, and then Michael mm-hmm. Chiesa. He was uh, submitted. Yeah. And I, I mean, I, that was a red flag then when we saw this horrendous losing streak. But of course, it's Carlos. The UFC is not going to cut him. They gave him lower-ranked opponents. And unfortunately, yeah. him beating Court McGee and Matt Brown just kind of maybe had him thinking I should stick around a little bit longer. Mm. No, Carlos Condit's style is built for youth, being youthful, being agile and being athletic. Do you know what I mean? Like, yeah. like back in the day when, when he won against who um, let's, let's think even uh, Nick Diaz, he had the footwork and the speed to evade him. Yeah. Yeah. Um, when he fought Don Hyun Kim, he had the footwork and the speed and the agility to throw a flying knee out of nowhere, connect on the button and slap up this man to the, to get the uh, TKO win flying. Dan knee. Hardy, when he Dan smacked, smacked the cross out of him. Yes, when he hit him with a beautiful cross, they both landed on each other. But who prevailed? Mm-hmm. The younger Condit. And the problem is, is that these fights that we're talking about took place in 2010, 
Dan yeah. Hardy, Don yeah. Young Kim, 2011, mm. Nick mm. Diaz, 2012. Why? Because Carlos was a young fucking buck and yeah. he could do the things that we are used to him doing. Mm. However, he did try. I did see him pull out some stuff from his back pocket. Like I saw him do like this really cool um, trip of Max Griffin at some point. Like he was trying to do some old school Carlos things. But again, his body and the way that he fights is built for like a younger fighter and he needs the speed. And when you get yeah. older, that's one of the things that go. So he can't perform the way that we used to perform, even though he's trying to. And it's really sad to see. So I'd like for him to retire before we see some type of like fight where he gets hurt. He doesn't tap and he, his, his arm is broken or he's in a fight where he's getting mauled. I don't want to see it. He's a legend. Hopefully he just walks away quiet. No more. I think the time for retirement, though, was where he was on that five-fight win streak. Me too. He's only in the UFC because the UFC have dragged him back in, like some Michael yeah. Corleone from The Godfather. The way that I look at it is that time has passed, G. Now, whilst me and you never call for people to retire or to actually, you know, leave their gloves in the middle of the octagon, I think if there were, was ever a time for that, it wouldn't be after two wins and one loss. You know what I mean? Because that's where right. he is right now. So... Yeah. You're right. I, I I agonize about, you know, saying this and that is, you know, I feel he should retire because I've never called for somebody to retire. But exactly kind of like a shadow of his former self, seeing the natural born killer um, no longer present, no longer in the building does make me worry. And um, I think we both know where it's going next. It's going to be a lower ranked opponent. It's going to be someone manageable so that he will shine and he will get back to his former glory in terms of confidence, in terms of, in his mind, uh, winning ways, as it were. But um, I think that the days of the natural born killer are definitely, definitely over. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And, and I totally agree with you. Those days were over a long time ago, but I suspect because he's a fan favorite, a legend and he's good. He's in good with the UFC. He's never bumped heads with them. They yeah. gave him a couple more fights and he probably is not done on his contract, but I don't want to see like another horrible older fighter demise on my television. I like yeah. when they walk away when they're supposed to. 100%. Now, yeah. I, I think we didn't say it, and I just want to acknowledge it because it's not being said enough. This card, top to bottom, okay, forget the early prelims because I was on my way back. They were the, pretty bad. The, yeah. From the cookout. Um, this card, top to bottom, was sick. I have never felt so satiated, so satisfied, so engaged watching an entire fight card. Now, albeit, again, I have to keep underlining and capital lettering the fact that I was on the American timeline. I was on the mm -hmm. American time zone. But I have never been so entertained in such a long time from start to finish, from fight to fight. And so, well, I suppose, kind of like salivating for what the next one is going to be because, you know, you, you felt so, I suppose entertained from fight to fight from round to round regardless of who it was so that kind of like needless or that leads us on to the main cards Sean O'Malley and Chris Moutinho now <laughs> I don't know about you mm -hmm. it looked as though Chris was a pinata that jab was being worked by Sean with kind of like reckless abandon he was able to piece him up regardless of where he was in terms of angles i mean even at one point playing basketball 
This was a memorable fight for me for all the wrong reasons. I didn't like the fact that this sacrificial lamb, albeit that he'd come in at the last minute, was basically a lamb to the slaughter because Sean O'Malley, on the one hand, was obviously tipped to win this. But, you know, there was a strange turn of events in that, although it ended the way that it ended, I think for me, you know, Herb Dean could have stepped in a round or two earlier. We saw that he was getting <laughs> up and he was he was getting annihilated. He was getting drilled. I mean, you name it. I mean, in terms of like the kicks, in terms of the punches, in terms of the clownery that was going on as well, as well he was being humiliated. But what this kind of like proved to me is that this son of a bitch, Chris, is a tough son of a bitch because right. Sean O'Malley went in there thinking that this was going to be a highlight reel finish and it was a highlight reel finish for the wrong reasons. What do you reckon? I'm, to- I'm over here like, yes, preach Bible, like we in the church, you know what I'm saying? I'm totally agreeing with you. Um, in fact, I think that Sean O'Malley should have done more. And I know people want to jump down my throat when I say this, because I said this in spaces and quite a few people got upset, Mike. When you are given a fastball down the middle, what do you do with it, Mike? You hit it out the park. You hit a fucking home run. When MVP gets somebody that is not on his level, what does he do? He beats the shit out of them and puts on a show. When Valentina was given Jessica I, and Jessica I was not the um, rightful contender. Like she did, she did have a winning streak, but we all knew she couldn't fight, you know, she couldn't keep up with Valentina. And Valentina showed us that it was a mismatch. She kicked her Mm -hmm. to another galaxy. How come yeah. Sean O'Malley was incapable of beating someone that was not on his level, someone that is clearly inexperienced, someone that doesn't even try to wrestle? His hands weren't even up the whole time. The only thing this kid Chris did was survive and keep coming forward. Mm. And Sean O'Malley couldn't even put this kid away. And that's what he was trying to do all night. And I just was like, come on. This is what happens when you always fight unranked fighters. And then when you meet Cheeto Vera, you get your ass kicked. If you're going to get an unranked f- fighter, Sean, you've got to put on a show. It, it, it's not, it, there's, we complain about when Leon doesn't put a show, when we gave him Nate Diaz, he didn't finish him. The same yeah. goes for me and this kid and Sean O'Malley. And, and then on top of it, same thing. Sean O'Malley was doing all these crazy feints. He was landing these beautiful shots. Yet we walked away thinking, man, Chris Martino was so tough and I want to see him fight again. Isn't that crazy? Yeah. Isn't that, and on top of it. One last thing, Mike, I know I'm going on and on, but I think you need to think about this for a sec. Chris Matino lost that fight and he still was able to show us somewhat of the blueprint to beat Sean O'Malley. Did he not walk him down? And was Sean on his back foot the whole fucking night? Yes, right? Yeah. So can you imagine somebody experienced like walking him down and someone that Mm -hmm. also can strike and cut off the cage and wrestle doing that to Sean O'Malley? Yeah, exactly. And that's just it. In terms of narratives, I'm glad you bring up um, Leon Edwards and Nick Di- or Nate Diaz because the narrative coming away from this was how tough Chris was and how resilient yeah. he was able to stand with Sean O'Malley. Right. Okay, he was taking punishment. Okay, he was a piñata, but did he go down? No. Was no. He no. He no. was in the fight always, but just looking <laughs> as though he was being seriously drilled piece and i i don't i don't want to hear that his chin was this this and that anyone can be knocked out no everyone has a chin that can be penetrated to the point that you're knocked out yeah and he could he didn't have the power to knock out chris matino 
Mm, and mm. I, I think it's a red flag. I think it was a fun, flashy performance that everyone should walk away from. Like Sean O'Malley had a lot of fun last night and it was pretty and it was flashy and it was entertaining. But there are some red flags behind that performance that alarm me. Yeah. So I like and also, too, when you call out five different people, Sean, you're really calling out nobody. <laughs> <laughs> So the call out was whack as well. And it's yeah. just nothing but strategic self-promotion, strategic games when he should be calling out a ranked opponent like Ricky Simon or somebody that's on his level or calling to run the Cheeto verified back, not calling for Peter Yan and people that can smoke you because you haven't even fought a ranked fighter yet. Christ almighty. Yeah. I mean, basically you're talking about strategic noise as well. That's all I heard. Yeah. It's, it's really self-promoting. Yeah. Speaking of noise though, Yana Kunitskaya and uh, Irene Aldana. What do you make of that? Oh, man, man, man. Listen, I thought Yana came out strong. I was, I was actually feeling um, the game plan, which was to just get in her face, strike with her, stay busy. And then when she's trying to evade your punches and you're coming in on her, clinch up, try to control her on the ground or put her back against the cage. And I like this game plan. The thing is, is that Irene was like, we're not doing this. And out of nowhere, clocked her with that hook. And it was murder she wrote from there. And she, the ground and pound from after the check hook was murder, Mike. Yeah. You see, that's why I talked like, about the, the blood. She, oh, I think she broke her nose. I think, oh, yeah. my God, it was beautiful. Yeah. yeah. And, and, and Irene's known for that check hook. That's like her little move, bro. Like, I love it. I felt for Tiago Santos having to sit through, you know, uh, Yana getting destroyed. I mean, that's what she was, even though it started off. But that's why I, I, I mentioned the whole strategic mm. noise at the beginning of um, us talking about Irene and Yana, because, you know, while she was uh, quite busy and noisy with it, um, mm -hmm. you have to think to yourself how much of this um, was kind of like cosmetic and how much of it was audio cosmetics, because, she did she didn't seem to be doing much damage but it sounded worse than it was if that makes sense because look what happened look how quickly the tide was turned well yeah i mean irene is a more accurate striker did i yeah. see yana do like a like a spinning back kick that didn't land was she trying to keep yeah, exactly was she trying to keep irene you know at a certain distance so that she could close the distance and take her down in the clinch yes i did see that and I like to see that from Yana because Yana is not like the most exciting fighter or the most active fighter on the feet. So for her to kind of come at Irene aggressive was the correct game plan. It's just that Irene is better than her. So Irene was able to like evade some of those kicks and punches, land her beautiful super move, her like her that that I don't want to call it leaping, but it's so technical and beautiful. But that left check hook. And once you go down to the ground, Irene's following up with some hard, hard ground and pound. And I don't know about you, Mike. I think it's very obvious that Irene hits really hard. Oh, 100%. Right? I mean, look what happened. And, and like you say, I would be very surprised she, if uh, Yana's nose wasn't actually broken by that barrage. Absolutely. And don't forget, she, she hit Caitlin Vieira with the same check hook. And Caitlin damn near died on that one. Like she passed out on the floor. She, um, this fight, she had to follow Yana to the ground and follow up with ground and pound. But yeah. when she did that to um, Caitlin Vieira, the same punch put that lady out. Mm. So I really, truly believe I know that Holly Holm tap danced all over Irene Aldana and sent her back to the drawing board. Like, listen, you don't even know how to cut off the cage. 
But when Irene fights somebody and that stylistically works for her, she puts them down. And that's what she did. And I liked it. And you need a performance like that after Holly showed you that she wasn't up here with her. So it's a good comeback performance, Mike. Yeah. I mean, speaking of putting them down, Greg Hardy versus Tai Chi Vasa. Now, all I have to say is we did it, Joe. We did it. <laughs> I, know, I know we shouldn't actually crow and like laugh at a man's downfall, but I'm just going to be real. Now, as a media member, as a media owner, I know that I should be seen to be impartial, but I'm just going to keep it 100. Greg Hardy is a wife-beating son of a bitch, and it's good to see wife-beaters get their comeuppance and comeuppance in such a savage way after a week in which he was basically saying he was innocent of all charges because he'd never been convicted after saying that you know he was worthy of being in the UFC and people should get off his back no Greg we will continue to hound you until you actually atone for your sins and accept what you did because you're a wife beater and the way in which you were beaten last night is befitting of what should happen to a wife beater. Yes, it may seem as though I'm on a soapbox. Yes, it may seem like I'm superseding our remit here because we are supposedly talking about fights. But we're talking about a man who should not be in the UFC, full stop. We're talking about a man whose actions should not be condoned. He should not be heaped upon in terms of praise and the salary that he's on. But here we are. So yes, I was happy that Tai Chuivasa knocked this man into the shadow realm. Yes, I was happy that Tai Chuivasa celebrated in such uh, in such fashion after doing so. But no, I wasn't happy seeing him sup beverages from people's feet. And that is, you know, the, the whole chewy thing. Oh, God. Me. I don't really like him actually drinking from people's trainers. What did you reckon? Well, I was really, really happy with the outcome of this fight, but I do want to tap myself on the on the back and say that I was uh, I picked Tuivasa to do what we saw. I don't understand. Yes, because here's the thing. I understand that fans were, you know, they don't feel confident with Ty um, Ty Tuivasa because, you know, he had like a three fight losing streak to JDS. even even off and then Sergey Spivak I get that like he has holes in his ground game I get it or he makes like his fight IQ can drop but he's still better than fucking Greg Hardy you know what I mean there's a reason why there's a reason why when you give him a contender series type of guy Greg Hardy smokes them or he has some boring fight like he has a win against Jorgen De Castro a win against Maurice Green and it's like these boring wins except for the TK punch with uh, Maurice Green however hear me out when he fought Volkov, which is a step up for him, decision loss. He goes to fight Marcin Tibura, it's a step up for him. He loses there to TKO. And now tied to Ivasa. He cannot contend with the middle fraction of the, of, the, of the heavyweights. Do you understand? Like he needs to keep fighting contender series types of foes or hit the regional scene. He's not that good. So when Taya Tuivasa knocked him out, I wasn't shocked. And I wasn't shocked to see like a rookie fighter like Greg Hardy notice uh, Tuivasa on stanky legs and wobbly and think he can run towards this man with his hands down and not get clobbered. And that's what happened. Tai Tuivasa has more experience than him. So even on shaky legs, he was still defensively sound and still was able to land the proper technique and, and hook to drop somebody coming at him, even though he was wobbly. Why? He has experience. Greg does not. He sucks. But I'm in my everlasting glory, Mike. The, the fight was wonderful. Did you see him on the floor all like, oh, what happened when he got up? I did. I did. <laughs> I, kept, I kept rewinding and playing it. I loved it. 
Yeah. And, and the funny thing is, I said this in spaces last night. I was like, all of you just wanted Derek to do it. You didn't appreciate when, when Tyson Tabura did it on top of him at ground and pound. You don't, uh, y'all don't realize the fact that middle tier heavyweights can do what y'all wanted Derek Lewis to do. Mm-hmm. Y'all just wanted Derek to do it. Derek is a title contender. You can't fight Greg. Matter of fact, Mike, did you hear Greg Hardy talking shit about Derek uh, Lewis at his press conference while promoting this fight? No, I didn't actually. That's the bit that I didn't hear. I heard snippets yeah, of, saying, he, of what he, Greg was saying. So what did he say? Yeah, he talked shit about him. He basically told him like he's never he's not a criminal because he's never been convicted and that Derek Lewis is a um, an ex-con that needs to shut his mouth. And the reason why I think Greg Hardy got the gall to speak to him like that is because they will never fight. Derek Lewis is a contender for the title and ready to fight the best at the top of the heavyweight division. Tied yeah. to Ivasa is not. And someone that is not on Derek's level is smoking him. Can you imagine if you fought Derek Lewis? Oh, I'd be carnage. Right. So that's why I talk shit about him because they ain't never going to fight. So that's some pussy shit, too, if you think about it. <laughs> yeah. Oh, 100%. Uh-huh. Okay. Gilbert Burns and Stephen Thompson. What did you reckon of this? This, uh, this was the fight. I just want to say, Mike, all my picks were correct except for this fight. And, and I want to say that most of us... Mm. podcasters fans hardcore some gilbert burns fans remain loyal but most of us picked steven wonderboy thompson to win this yeah. we thought he had the perfect style to kind of pick gilbert apart like he did luke Gay and jeff meal but what we failed to realize is that gilbert burns is a bit better than jeff meal and luke Gay. and he has the power and the jujitsu and the strength to kind of bully this guy so after the first round because in the first round, Gilbert and Steven were very tentative, feeling each other out. And Steven's a counter striker and Gilbert didn't want to get wrecked. But after he got over that, like first round jitters and feeling each other out, Gilbert just turned into a bully, took him down, was smacking him up at times. But I do think the shots to the back of the head, I believe what at the end of the third round or the second round, he was hitting him in the back of the head. Goddard should have um, dealt with that. I thought there was plenty of illegal blows. But overall, Gilbert Burns was nothing but a motherfucking bully. And he handled Stephen uh, Wonderboy Thompson. And my Wonderboy looked a little slow in there. What do you think? Yeah, you're right. He looked um, ever so slightly kind of like, in terms of timing, whether that was the issue. that he's just Slower. Timing. Yeah. And yeah. Um, what was surprising, though, I, you know, I've really got not much to add to what you just said. What was surprising, though, was Gilbert Burns, like, shooting from so far out. Did you not notice that? But he was successful with it. Yeah, that's why I was like, if it, it's like at first, I was like surprised because that's not always like a takedown that's so like an entry that's always so successful. And also, exactly. Stephen Wonderboy Thompson has good takedown defense. Like mm. it's flawless almost. But Gilbert was, like I said, was able to bully him, shoot from across the cage. Perhaps he worked on it too, Mike. Maybe that was something they worked in camp, but he was shooting across, taking him down. Ground and pounding Steven and forcing Steven to like switch positions because he was just hammering him with these awkward, you know, punches. Mm. And I was impressed. And I, I, quite frankly, it made me respect Gilbert Burns again. I lost a little bit of respect for him when he was just crying like that and, and Usman jabbing him up so easily. And I lost respect for him, but I do now respect Gilbert Burns, although I don't want to see him rematch Usman anytime soon, but I nah, do right. like the Masvidal call-out. Yep. Love it. Me too. Uh, Me too. Justin Poirier versus Conor McGregor. The headliners. Yeah. Yeah, main event of the evening. Lightweight uh, 
meeting for the third time. What did you make of this? I mean, it's it's the same storyline as Greg Hardy and Tuivasa. Like the good guys won tonight, right? I mean, last night they won tonight. That's all it is. Like this was all super- about karma, wasn't it? Yeah, it felt like this was the karma card, you know, and and, and you could apply it to a, a few of these fights. You know what I'm saying? So, but with Dustin and Connor, man, what a fight, because I do agree with the judges. I know there's some controversy, Mike, right now with a 10-8 round. I agree with the two judges that gave it to Dustin for 10-8. Yes, Connor landed some shots, but Dustin beat the shit out of him, took him to the ground on his first takedown, kept him there, controlled him, and ground and pounded him. That is a 10-8 round. And not only that, Connor's either poor technique or Dustin's beautiful technique of checking kicks caused his like leg to deteriorate to the point that it broke when he stepped on it incorrectly. This was a wonderful fight. Dustin um, looked better this time than last time. And Connor's behavior after the fight was disgusting and absolutely deplorable. And I have no idea why Connor is on some Marvel villain type shit. It's just maybe he's just going too far. Or maybe he's losing his mind. But to threaten Dustin and making gun gestures while they're working on your ankle is just bizarre to me. So, but I loved every second of it. Connor deserved everything he got coming to him. Mike, your thoughts? I love the perspective that he was coming in with. Okay, I'm going to destroy you with what you destroyed me with last time around. And that is the leg kick. I mean, he was pumping out that left leg in terms of leg kicks all night long. And um, I've got a feeling that perhaps he came in there with that hairline fracture because it just seemed as though that was what he was pumping out. And then lo and behold, that's what snaps, right? Have I got the right leg? Because if I remember rightly, um, it was his left leg, which he had been pumping out in terms of connecting with... um, Dustin Poirier, it was that that gave out. It was that that broke. Now, for me, I find it very difficult to admit this to you, G, because mm-hmm. of all the standing that I've done, all the defense that I've done, I mm-hmm. found yesterday and indeed the run up to this disgusting. And it made me want to reevaluate or made me reevaluate every single time I've defended Connor and the blind way in which. I've said that, you know, this guy is all about the trash talk and it's the trash talk that makes it attractive. And, and it's, it's that that puts bums on seats because you either want to pay to see him win or pay to see him lose. No, he's taken it too far. I'm, as you know, old school in terms of cussing people, in terms of trash talk, no women, no children. In the run up to this, bringing his wife into this. And then after you've been actually, you know, kind of like taken out the game, literally. Um, this was a TKO. Let's just not forget that. And after being pieced up, because he was being pieced up, hence the reason why I do agree with those two um, judges who gave it 10 eight. You're right. Not only did Dustin take him down, he also controlled him, controlled him effectively yeah. on the ground. And those elbows, you see, that's all part of it. And those elbows, I'm surprised that um, Herb Dean didn't actually step in. I'm really, really surprised that there Thank wasn't all that. But I thought to myself, it's because it's Connor. It's unreal, Mike, because like Connor's fans have all these excuses, but it's like, are you ignoring the fact that Dustin was a, a, not just like he took the takedown and he got him or whatever. Con- he was beating Connor on the feet. Connor was landing on him, but Dustin was winning the exchanges, especially the exchanges yes. in the pocket, because yeah. that's what Dustin is good at. In fact, Dustin was 
piecing him up so much in the pocket, Connor had to grab him closely and then go for that guillotine because he yep. could not handle the uh, Dustin's ability to fight in the pocket. And lo and behold, everybody keeps talking about Dustin's boxing, but be more specific. You're talking about the boxing in the pocket. That's what he's mm. good at. That's why he shakes mm. his finger at him. Like, Oh, you ain't see that one coming. Cause it's in the pocket. He's always beating Connor up in the pocket. It's beautiful to see. And Connor's fans that should not have to say shit today because before that man's foot broke, he was losing that fight and yeah. he broke his, and he broke his leg or not his foot, excuse me. He broke his leg either. It doesn't matter whether it's Dustin or a training issue, yada, yada, yada. He lost the fight. You know what, what I mean? He, his, and then his body couldn't keep up. Like his body, yeah. his, his leg exploded. Dustin won. Yeah. He did that to yeah. you. Yep. And, and the thing, as I say, which, as I say, was difficult for me to admit because it's then kind of like acknowledging a failing within not just uh, MMA in terms of fandom, but myself, is that how long are we going to make excuses for Conor McGregor's antics? It's clear that something is not quite right upstairs when you are threatening a man's life, threatening to kill Thank him. Thank you. Now, I know this is the rhetoric. People are pointing to this and saying that this is just colorful it's, language, but it's different with Connor. That, yeah, you're saying that this isn't over. And if you have to settle it outside the octagon, you will. This isn't the first time that that rhetoric has been used. I mean, this is last time he threw a dolly. Throwback. Last time he said that. Exactly. This is a throwback to the Nomogamado feud. Now, I just want to have it on record that I can no longer say with a clear heart, with a clean heart, that I support Connor's rhetoric because it's clear that it's beyond fighting. It's clear that there is something not quite There's right something with, wrong with him. Um, yeah, with him mentally because yes. who does that? How is I've, it palatable to have that rhetoric about killing people, about leaving people in, in a situation where they're my, leaving the octagon he, in a, or in, in, a, in a coffin or on a stretcher? And it's funny we talk about karma because... What happened? He left karma. He left in <laughs> yeah, a stretcher. On a first, stretcher. Let's let's go through the timeline. He went on. He went on Twitter and said, "What the first person to shoot for a takedown is a dusty bitch." He turned into yeah. a dusty bitch the moment Dustin started fighting with him in the pocket, and he was mm. the first person to go for a takedown. He yeah. said submissions don't count in that silly interview with Stephen A. Smith. Who went for a submission first? Conor McGregor, but they don't fight because you should only count knockouts. And then Dustin beats the brakes off of him in the pocket. He beats him up in the ground and you break your ankle. And now, oh, you only knockouts count this, this and that. I was beating him up on the feet, yada, yada, yada. And then you're sitting there with a broken ankle and you're still threatening this guy, his family. And you're still saying things like you want to do this outside of the cage. And you're making gun gestures. And then if you looked at him talking to, to, Joe Rogan, I get that he was amped up and feeling emotional and in a very like interesting moment at that time or emotional moment. But to me, he looked like a madman. And he's been looking like a madman since before he fought Dustin. Let's not forget the press conference with Khabib in that purple suit. He was acting like he was high. He's, he runs around, he's slapping an old man. Like Connor has behavioral issues. And I don't know if it's because he's mentally ill or if he's just getting boxed up a lot you know, he's, he's, he has brain type of damage or something, but something's not okay with him, Mike. He's unwell. Yeah, 100%. I'm going to just put it out there. I know I'm not a doctor. I know, but it's just something's wrong here. The, the warning signs were there. I mean, in the lead up, I'm not sure if you, you watched every single interview or, you know, the majority of them, but 
he does have like a like a bodily tick in terms of his posture and the fidgeting and the gurning and it does make me feel that married with the fact of those words the rhetoric and the language that he is using it makes me feel as though he does need help it makes me feel as though he does need therapy i mean i'm hoping that he will spend the time away from the cage not just kind of like obviously rehabbing and and getting well um physically but also you know looking at how he can get well mentally i really do mean that i'm not just trying to say that to be smart if he doesn't get better mentally he at least has to switch up his brand or maybe like evolve mike like he's not journeyman connor anymore and he's not funny the way that he used to so being a villain i don't think is working for him either to be all this braggadocious and to act like some marvel villain with dark glasses on and to kick dust in and to say horrible things it's no longer working because he's not backing it up the magic is gone yeah. so perhaps when he comes back he can be a different kind of connor family guy connor maybe i don't know go back to church for choir connor that you were with when you fought cowboy like this whole showing up in a purple suit like a, a comic book villain and saying terrible things is no longer working like bro you look crazy and and then you know he looks crazy just last summer he was out he was on the beach exposing himself to somebody while he himself has children with a woman and claims D Devlin but yet he's telling Dustin his wife wants to sleep with him which is not true but yet Connor's out here sleeping with um, crackheads cheating on D getting arrested and you're going to talk about another man's wife and this is a power couple that fundraises for charity and they appear to be very much in love and mon monogamous unlike Connor and D and he's out here slandering them and losing in horrific fashion and talking crazy afterwards, the guy is off. Just to say perhaps, that- Perhaps those, this was a blessing for him, Mike. He needs time off. Yeah, Go just to say, all, all of those incidences you mentioned there were all alleged as we don't have like- Absolutely, absolutely. So um, just, just to underline that, but my, my worry though, my worry is the fans were clamoring, me included. That's why I said at the top of this discussion that I do feel as though there is some culpability. There is some kind of like um, soul searching that I need to do because I was one of the people that wanted a return to, you know, um, Trash Talk Connor, wanted a return to Venomous Connor, and we got it, but we got it in spades. He and went we too far. Venomously. Yeah. And yeah. I feel as though he stepped over the line. But again, we talk about this, so we talk about this all the time. Where are the boundaries? Are there any boundaries? But I do feel when you're talking about a man's wife, as I say, it goes against my credo and that is no women, no children. And he does it every fight camp. Like it's just, if Khabib's wife was a, a lamb, now Jolie for some reason wants to sleep with Conor McGregor and yet Conor can't look at himself and be like, I'm out here doing all types of shit that alludes to me not being a very faithful man, but yet I'm pointing fingers at Dustin and Jolie like, he just seems a little bit off. And I'm thinking to myself, when he does return, which he will, because he has a hell of an ego, which Connor shows up? Does he go back to being a villain and a dickhead? Because that's not working. Like, I you can see, like, look at look how you've turned on him. Like, you're a huge fan. You're, you're yeah. like, I'm good. You're not the I, only person doing that, man. I, I've got a question for you. I mean, sure. just before we wrap up. I'm intrigued that it's clear that Connor has venom. It's clear that... Connor, in his mind, has got um, unfinished business here. Do we see Connor walk straight back into a rematch? And that is number four with uh, Dustin Poirier. Or do we see Connor 
have a lower level, lower tier fight to get him back into the swing of things. And then Dustin Poirier versus Conor McGregor for what, what, what's, what's your thinking? I think Conor can sell that rematch. And if, if Dana thinks that they can make money, I don't think Dustin, Dana, and Connor are going to have a problem with that fourth match because it's all about, well, for Connor, it's his ego. He gets to try to prove himself again. Dustin gets another fat ass paycheck and Dana gets to exploit the fans again and try to get Connor's fans to really buy this. So I think there is a huge probability this happens, but we can't jump the gun. We don't even know like how his foot was, his leg was broken, how long he's going to be out. Like we just know he's probably going to come back, but we should just cool, cool down and get ready for Dustin to fight, you know, Charles Oliveira and then figure out how we plug in Connor. Cause what if Dustin beats Charles and Connor wants to rematch? That means he could be a potential champ if he, if he fights Dustin for the fourth yeah. time. Yeah. So oh, okay. there are a lot of factors that, you know, kind of can get scary here, Mike. So, yeah. Yeah. I've got. A, I know. I said uh, I had one question. I've got another question just before we wrap up. Cage side Joe, is he right to be interviewing Connor literally in the cage after breaking his ankle? And you know we've seen breakages in the cage. Okay, Sean O'Malley, who actually won and received the in cage interview, but you know Anderson Silva didn't get an in cage interview. Chris Weidman didn't get an in cage interview. So is it right that we saw Connor McGregor's in cage interview and what did you make of the the, the incoherent babble that uh <laughs> Gregor was actually spewing forth and uh further embarrassing himself and um right. i think when it comes to like fighters being knocked unconscious like the interview for aljo being kneed in the head was unnecessary anything that involves a fighter being unconscious maybe being a concussion there should be no immediate joe rogan interview they should be getting a cat scan or whatever you do to check somebody's brain and taken out of the cage however you break your ankle and you're not screaming about it like a little bitch or you crying really hard which connor wasn't really doing if he's capable of speaking give him the mic and i didn't really have a problem with that and also sean o'malley like he was in pain but he was cognizant and he could answer a few questions with joe if it's an ankle injury and that fighter is okay with being spoken to i'm with it and i don't know what the fuck connor said last night when when joe gave him. i'm gonna be honest with you i didn't understand what he said his accent and the dialect it threw me off and I, he was emotional too so he didn't really hold back like his irish like i'm sure people in ireland knew exactly what the fuck he was saying but like you know when you're angry yeah you yeah. know when you're angry your accent like my new york accent when i get angry oh it comes out so i think that's what we heard too like he was straight up irish connor right there like give me this mic but me personally mike i didn't know what the fuck he said until like someone in spaces had to translate it so <laughs> okay uh, well, I a, no 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 no. i have a quick question for you okay as a connor fan and i only have one so we good <laughs> um what was worse as a Conor fan, the Khabib conference or the Dustin Poirier uh, conference? Both of them with the no fans. But what did you think? Hands down, the Dustin conference. I just felt it took <gasps> really. Yeah, it took a turn for the uh, dark and morbid and very, very. Um, how can I put it? Uh, line negative. He, he overstepped the line basically, and that's why I, I did have a problem with it because of the lead up being dark and you could dismiss that as being rhetoric but actually leading away from it hearing the words he was saying and you know basically the, the, the continued disrespect to Jolie uh, Poirier 
I thought this was worse because, you know, you've just been beaten. Have a sense of humility, which he did in the the the, the, the um fight. There was humility there. You could sense that, that, you know, he was contrite and he was looking to fix things. In this, it was almost as though he felt as though he was winning before that actually happened when he clearly wasn't. And that was, no. just, that, that was, that was, that for me was one of the most um, worrying things that there was this sense of um, what well, I suppose is this, this self-regulation um, just wasn't actually kicking in for him to say, you know what? I got beat fair and square. I was getting beat fair and square, especially when those elbows were raining down on my face. I, I need to kind of like, you know, take a little bit of humble pie here and maybe try and mend some bridges. Why don't I just actually say, you know what, Dustin, right now, the way that I'm feeling and the performance that you put in, that's worthy of a donation to your actual charity. Look, I'm getting my iPhone out now. Hand me my iPhone, Joe, um, Joe Kavanaugh, or John Kavanaugh, and uh, I'm going to make a donation right here and now. You can see me actually transferring the money. Here is $1 million. Win some fans, Connor, but he didn't. He took the opportunity to further dig a grave for himself, to further sully his brand, but really to kind of like leave an impression in our minds of whether we wanted to actually support Conor McGregor in the future. Now, as I say, as a media owner, as supposedly um, uh, neutral, but ultimately, you know, we are all fight fans. And I didn't feel as though um, my fight fandom um, was well-placed in giving it to Conor McGregor after hearing him last night. But after hearing the clash between him and the Mega Madoff, I had no issue with that. I had no problem with that. He kept it basically professional. This, I suppose, was what I suppose was eating away at me. It wasn't professional. It was hella dark. And it was embarrassing. That was the main thing. He was embarrassing the sport. He was embarrassing himself. Yeah. It just wasn't fun. Like, remember, he used to be fun, you know, like when he fought Chad Mendes, Chad Mendes, Mike asked him, do you know anything about wrestling? And his response was, yes, I'm going to rest my balls on your head. And I fucking, I lost it. Like it was so, I know I don't give it any justice, but when Connor said it, it was so funny, but now it's just like insults about wives and showing up at press conferences, like almost like you're a drug addict when the one with Khabib, I thought he was high or drunk and offering a Muslim man man alcohol you know disrespecting the man's religion disrespecting the man's wife and then now dustin poirier get, trying to get fans to chant his wife's name in a disrespectful manner because you're telling the fans she wants to fuck you that is insane it's it these things aren't fun and and, and quite frankly mike it's bringing out the worst in his fans they're going yeah. right along with this bullshit going to jolie's mentions going to other people and trying to like shit on their charity work and whatnot only because connor's being a douche and he's you know invigorating them to do so we don't need that man let's just have a fun pre-fight build up some drama and then y'all fight it out and afterwards everybody's cool exactly and that was what was missing this is supposedly us establishing by sitting down and looking at two lethal combatants establishing right. who is the best. But after this, no gun we've gestures. We've had, we've had fun. And yeah, nobody nope. was having fun at the beginning of this, in the middle of this, and at the end of it. I wasn't having fun. No. And that's and why it kind of like sullies his brand and it kind of like yep. sullies the sport. 
Yeah, of course. Even Dustin wasn't even enjoying the win. Like afterwards, he was complaining about Connor cheating. And then he was complaining about the fact with the gun gesture. And Con even Dustin kind of said what I just said. He was like, the fight's over. I want him to go home to his beautiful children. I'm going to go home to mine. What is wrong with this guy making gun gestures and telling me he's going to kill me? Mm. And the fight is over. Even Dustin is used to the fight's over, man. Here's, a, you know, I shake your hand, you I shake, shake mine, I go, yeah, like, what is this whole, um, um, we can settle this on the sidewalk or whatever, Connor. Like, don't turn the sport into, like, drive-by shootings. Like, now we got to worry about Connor jumping him at, to in a hotel. Like, can we not bring this into the sport? You already did that with Khabib. Leave Dustin and his family alone. He beat your ass. Wait for the fourth fight. Exactly. We've been here before, albeit right. you know, of, of old, of big in Tupac, but let's keep this on wax. Exactly. Wax the octagon. Exactly. You know where this is going. If he keeps it up, they're just going to fight on site outside of the gym and it's going to hit bloody elbow. It's going to hit a bunch of articles. It's going to hit our timeline. And that's not really why we tune in to watch, Mike. So I hopefully Connor calms where, down. Yeah. I think in an age where we're talking about mainstreaming, um, mixed martial arts. We're talking about having it on the same platform of other sports which are going through the roof in terms of traction. This ain't it. This exactly. isn't it. This is this it. our biggest ambassador. And this is how he's behaving. This is how he's talking. These are the words and gestures that he's using. It's a bad look. It's a Thank terrible you. look. And I think his fans should also be able to acknowledge that. This is just bad for everyone keeps saying, well, Connor did this, this and that for the sport. But look what he's doing for it now. So, you know, I think like it sucks that he broke his leg or his ankle. It looked pretty painful. I'm sure he's at home just really upset. But I do think he needs more time off. I'm glad. Yeah. I don't want to hear yeah. him getting ready for a boxing match with Manny Pacquiao that clearly he would have lost. And I don't want him getting ready to fight somebody else and also being the asshole that he is. It's really nice that he's going to have to sit out on the sidelines and just relax for a bit while the division moves on without him. And on that note, we've completed the show. Nice. And that edition of the Worldcast will be back midweek with our compadres, Chisanga and Kairos. We're in our position. Yes. Until then, stay safe. Excellent. See you later, Mike.